and welcome once again to A Novel Evening. I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as at A Novel Evening Podcast and the same on TikTok. Hello, welcome. At the time of recording, I've had like a little break in recordings. Won't be a little break for you guys because obviously we release each week. <laughs> but for me, I've had a little break and I won't lie, I am feeling pleasantly festive at the time of recording. It's super dark right now, won't lie. It's only 8pm and I feel like it's like midnight. It's been dark for so long which is my favourite. But this, this time of year, is my favourite for snuggling up with a book. And what better book, books, plural, for us to be talking about than This Vicious Grace and This Cursed Light by Emily Thede. Woo! These are my kind of books. And I'm just going to give you just the tagline of This Vicious Grace. Three weddings, three funerals, one more chance to save them all, Boom, I'm sold. I need the duology. I need to know everything. And what better way to find out everything than welcoming Emily onto the podcast? I'm so excited. I can't wait to chat all about the duology. I can't wait to chat about what comes next for Emily. And of course, find out what on earth she's going to bring to her novel evening. So, a massive hello to Emily. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? It looks very lovely. Hi. Thank you. Yes, it is. It is the middle of the afternoon. I'm doing pretty well. You know, my second book comes out in eight days, so it's a little hectic, but but exciting. And how does that feel? I mean, you've got book one is about how does the second book compare? It's very different um, because I'm nervous in different ways. You know, with the first book, it was really how are people going to receive it and how is this going to launch my career? Whereas with the second one, it's a more... Um, intimate sort of nervousness because now I know that I've built this readership that is often very devoted to these characters um so I guess I just feel I feel like I'm sharing something more directly with them because I've had so many interactions with readers over the past 18 months but I also just really want them to feel that it is a satisfying conclusion so we will see and I guess that's the thing with the geology as well you know you've only got those two books to really nail that beginning that ending and give people what they want. Did you ever feel the pressure yeah. with it just being a duology? Uh, not the duology part did not add more pressure to me. Um, honestly, I think I decided pretty early on that I wanted the two books to feel like bookends, almost as if you could unroll each book and fold them together that they would meet at various places in the middle. So for me, the symmetry of a duology is a lot less daunting than a longer series um, because I knew exactly how to kind of reflect things from one story to the next. But it is it's intimidating just to to create something to share it with people and then to feel the responsibility of providing them with something that matches their expectations but the early reviews coming in have been very very positive so I feel like I pulled it off amazing is that out in the US and the UK at the same time have they got different release dates oh wow that's a big date (laughs) yeah it's everything oh my goodness I mean so exciting congratulations because I'm sure it's gonna do incredibly so Let's kick things off. For people who have not read the duology, they've not read the first part, they've seen the second part, tell us firstly what book one, This Vicious Grace. Let's dive in firstly what book one is about. Give us a little Cliff Notes version. Sure. Sorry, I was just trying to silence my phone. I don't know why it does that. Um, Max, the bane of my existence, because they all communicate. Okay, I'll pause and then I'll start in case you need to snip that out. Um, So This Vicious Grace is a young adult romantic fantasy about Alessa, a girl who was chosen by the gods to protect her island home. But the only magical ability she has is the ability to magnify another person's magic. Um, And unfortunately for her, 
the first three partners that she chose, uh, well, they did not survive the encounter. And so she is facing a looming apocalypse as her people are turning against her and wondering if they would be better off taking her out and seeing if a better one rises in her place. And she, for obvious reasons, is not a huge fan of that idea. So she decides she's going to give it one last shot, but she's going to need protection because even the people in her inner circle are considering whether or not uh, she is the right person for the job. And so she hires Dante, a very grumpy outcast street fighter to be her temporary bodyguard. But he has some some secrets of his own and he might just be the one person who can either help her figure out her problem or take her out once and for all. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to say anything about the sequel without giving away stuff from the first one. <laughs> so, right. Okay. We will not dive in too much into book two. I mean, first of all, where did the inspiration for these books come from? What we, where did you kind of start with this? So I think it's a combination of things in my life and media that I have loved and wanted to explore more deeply. So I moved from uh, v- from New Jersey to Virginia when I was 15. And for those who aren't really familiar with uh, the way America lays out, that's a pretty big shift going from basically the suburbs of New York City to central Virginia. Um, it's a big culture shock and it's just a rough time, I think, to move. But I heard someone once say that they thought that every young adult author had some sort of pivotal trauma moment in their teen years that allows them to always kind of tap back into what it felt like to be that age. And I think that was my moment in so many ways. And so I moved at a time in my life where your friends start to take precedence over your family in many ways. They become your whole world. And suddenly I was cut off from all of that. And I did not know how to make new friends, nor did I really figure out until a few months later that you can't just sit there in the back of the classroom looking miserable and expect someone to swoop up and save you um, like they do in a lot of the YA books. But so I learned at a very, in you know, emotional age, just how incredibly difficult it can be to be isolated and how amazing it is when one person does take that step to connect with you or who sees you when you're feeling invisible. So I think that was always lurking in the back of my mind. And then sometime a little bit later than that, I watched the first X-Men movie. Um, And I I was very familiar with the cartoons, but there was something (laughs) specifically about that movie and how it yes love them how do you call me about those 90s that that immediately that (laughs) went straight into my brain yep exactly but so when I saw the X-Men movie I think I deeply deeply understood Rogue's situation um and for those who who don't know the X-Men uh Rogue is someone who has the ability to basically take someone else's superpowers um but it's often very dangerous or fatal for them um and our first introduction to her in the movie series is when she runs into a very grumpy outcast with some strange powers at a bar. And that there is a scene in This Vicious Grace which is very much an intentional nod to that first meeting. And in the movie, it really contrasts these two characters. You have this one character who is a loner, an outcast who doesn't want to be a hero, doesn't want to have friends, doesn't want to make connections. And yet he has a, an ability that should be a good thing, and yet it has left him very isolated. Um, whereas Rogue is someone who desperately wants connection, friends, family, and community, but she has a gift that makes that nearly impossible. And I love the fact that the movie put those two together and kind of thematically played them off against each other, and they formed a very unlikely connection. And in that movie, there is no romantic element because Rogue is still a teenager, and Wolverine is an adult, although he doesn't age and she does. So who knows what could happen in the future? Um, <laughs> But I was just always fascinated by that that dynamic. And I wish that they could have gone deeper into it because 
Um, if you're not paying really close attention, I think you could easily miss why those two characters specifically are kind of linked together. Um, and I just, it sat in the back of my mind for years and years and years as just that dynamic that I wanted to play with. And so when I was at a time in my career where I had written a couple of books, I had done a couple of mentorships, I had queried a bunch of books and I was getting absolutely nowhere. Um, I didn't have a literary agent. I didn't have any publishing deals. And I was starting to get really discouraged with the whole process. And so I decided to just write something regardless of whether it would be marketable because I'd been trying so hard to write what I thought people, people wanted yeah. from me. And I decided, well, I just, I need to write something that I'm just going to have fun with, or I'm going to get too frustrated and I'm going to give up. Uh, so I considered just writing fan fiction for a little bit, not just writing. Fan, there's nothing just about fan fiction, but I considered, you know, starting with these characters I knew playing with this dynamic myself. And then I, I'm too stubborn. And I just said, no, I'm going to invest a lot of time in this. I want to theoretically write something that could someday be published, but taking the elements of that story that I liked. And so I thought, all right, well, it has to have something speculative because the whole <laughs> deadly powers thing doesn't work if you're not science mm -hmm. fiction or fantasy. So I kind of flipped it into fantasy and I just started with that one character who wants human connection, but physically can't do it. And one character who doesn't want human connection, but kind of can't turn away from someone who's in trouble. And I built it out from there and I created an entire world based on starting with uh, making Alessa's life as miserable as humanly possible and making it as important as it can possibly be for her to figure out her powers. And I just kind of built it out layers by layer and I ended up with a story that I had no idea if it was marketable. Um, this was a time where darker, grim, wintry fantasy was very much on trend. And here I was writing this kind of a rom-com stuck in the middle of a deadly fantasy set on the Amalfi coast of Italy inspired magical islands. And I just leaned in and I had fun with it. And I'm so thankful that it turns out that people do want to read that. So who knew? I mean, I am obsessed with the fact that this has its origins with the rogue Wolverine story. Yeah. <laughs> that is for me. And I, going back to the night show, I was a big Gambit rogue fan. For a, yes. I shipped that so hard. Yep. So I, I love that. That, so that little nugget first started. And yeah. I've had people say, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I've had people say that they see Gambit in, in Dante too, which I think is probably true. But thematically, the powers work better with Rogue and Wolverine. But yes, you could definitely have some of the personality elements of Gambit as well. Interesting. Yeah, Gambit's very charming. He's got that. Yeah. He's got that bit of charm. Got, yeah. I'm, he I'm, sure I'm does. If you were going to have written fanfic, that's the one I'd read. <laughs> I'm all there for that. I mean, <laughs> When you're saying as well, because we're, you know, we're talking about X-Men and these fandoms, when you knew it was going to be speculative and you're diving into this fantasy world, as you mentioned before, you know, people get very fixed on these characters quickly. And there's tropes that come mm -hmm. hand in hand. Were you kind of aware of tropes you wanted to include? Think, you know, you've got a bit of grumpy sunshine, you got a little bit of that. Yes. How did you I love a grumpy sunshine. I mean, I just, I think that that to me is, like grumpy sunshine allows you to play so much with with banter and with tension. And I also come from a family that is a very kind of grumpy sunshine every single generation. You know, we have a lot of uh, men who are engineers who like to be alone all the time and women who are little chaotic ADHD monsters who never stop talking. So that's something I'm very comfortable with. So it felt uh, very easy and familiar to me. And I always laugh when people say, how did you, yeah, how did you write Dante so well? And I'm like, I, that's, that's just, that's what I know. So it came very naturally. <laughs> Um, so I was very aware of the fandom of that, but I also was you know, diverging enough that I felt like the X-Men super fans can't come after me because these are different characters, just inspired by. Um, and as for tropes, uh, there are some that are just required. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's got to be forced proximity, especially if one of them has powers that will kill you if you get too close. Yeah. Uh, again, Grumpy Sunshine was baked in from the beginning. And a lot of the rest of it, I think some of them, I wasn't even completely aware were tropes that have names, but I have since, you know, then been tagged a thousand times by people. And I'm like, oh, I've never really thought about the whole, like, like they're just, you know, you in the wide world of tropes. There are way more than sort of the standard 10 that we hear about, but um, yeah. So there's a lot of it in there. So book two, we can't give a lot away. We know it's set six months, right? After book one. Yes. So we obviously know we're going to meet these characters again. Things will have changed. Do you feel that fans of the first book will be satisfied? Do you think there's any sh- kind of surprises in there? How do you feel about Both. book two? Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, the hardest thing to talk about is simply just that, like, you know, there's a big event at the end of book one. And so it's hard to even mention who's in book two without, but, um, but for people who can make some kind of obvious assumptions about a duology that's romantic, uh, they... I will just say, if you read the first one, that was Alessa's book. And the sequel is another person's book, which I think will be pretty easy to figure out if you've read the first one. Interesting. Um, Not entirely, but that allowed me to really take the same characters, but I hope create the sense of an entirely new character arc. Um, I wasn't just, you know, we weren't just going back to the same character because I think Alessa has a really completed character arc in book one. She accomplishes so much of what she wanted. She gains so much of what she needed. And so I wanted to make sure that you had that same sense of this character has so much to do and so much to learn and so much growth to do. And to do that, I had to, you know, mix it up a little. But I think that all the elements people enjoyed the most about this vicious grace are in this cursed light. They're often just distributed to other characters. You know, you can't, you can't have your two main characters go from being kind of hostile to lovers because they already know it. You can't have people go from being strangers to friends yeah. when they already are friends, that sort of thing. Uh, so I got to take, you know, some of my favorite kinds of uh, bickering and bantering and meeting strangers and not knowing whether you want to kiss them or kill them and allow some of our secondary characters who were very popular from book one they get to have some of that. So we get to keep it in the story, but in a hopefully new and fresh way. See, I love that. Like I'm a big Sarah J Mass fan. Absolutely loved Akita. But for me, it got interesting when you were seeing these other perspectives. Because when you've heard, you know, you've seen your whoever's together. Mm-hmm. Once you've read about that, you need to mix things up a bit. And like you said, yeah. it keeps it fresh, right? You're seeing a different perspective on what's happening. Yeah. I'm excited. So we, we dive into some... Some history comes back to life in many ways and sort of uh, past traumas are re-dug up and we get to meet some new characters who I think readers will greatly enjoy. We love that. And lastly, how did it feel for you? I mean, you know, you start with this book, you start with this idea, you build it up, you have your second book. How does it feel to say goodbye to those characters? How does it feel to kind of walk away from that when you finish that? Have you walked away? I think it's going to hit me really hard like in a few weeks. Um, I think getting this sequel across the finish line was so much harder than This Vicious Grace because This Vicious Grace I wrote for myself at a time where no one else was waiting for it. Yeah. And I was just having fun and assuming it wouldn't go anywhere. Um, whereas because of the timing of when I got my first deal, which was in March of 2020. Um, so immediately wow. it was like, you have a book deal and now your children are home for the next 18 months and you're not going to leave your house. It's going to be very stressful and difficult. So uh, we'll just say that when everyone says, make sure you've completed your sequel before book one comes out, that did not happen. Um, I tried, but that did not happen. 
And so I found myself in the, in many ways, enviable, but stressful position of writing a sequel as the world was meeting my characters and as so many readers were falling in love with them. And that's a good problem to have, but it is very daunting. Um, it's very hard to get back into that headspace of just write whatever you feel like and don't worry about what people think. Especially if you want to kill someone off. If you are thinking, yeah. like, I'm going <laughs> to kill this person, everyone's like, we love them. You're like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was just difficult. Um, and I was very, very determined to make sure that it was a book that I was truly proud of and that readers would be satisfied with. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to like every choice that I make, but that they would feel like it was a worthy conclusion. And so I, I took a little longer than I intended to and all of that, which all that to say, I'm incredibly proud of how it turned out, but I feel like I'm still catching my breath in many ways. And it's like, okay, okay. We turned it in. It's printed. It's printed correctly. All right. And then it's just, I think a few weeks after it, it's going to truly hit me that like, wait, I don't get to go back and like play with those characters anymore. Um, and I don't, I've had people say, you never know. I'm like, no, I do. <laughs> would you I ever know. go back to the world? Do you think, do you think there's ever kind of other um, stories or would that not feel comfortable? Possibly. I think when you're having a massive war with the gods to sort of de decide the fate of humanity, it's really hard to then be like, it's a good name. Again. Yeah. Like yeah. there are only so many times that the gods are going to be oh, like, all right, we said, this, we said this was the last time, but we're just going to do it again. So um, it's possible, but it would have to be, I think, sometime in the future. And there would have to be sort of a new magic system that evolved from the old world mm. because it would be very hard to come back to this same sort of generation of characters, I think, um, yeah. without a really creative light bulb moment hitting in the middle of the night. I can't see that happening. So I guess the big question is, what does come next? And there's probably not very much you can tell us, but do you think you'll stay in the same realms of fantasy? Do you see yourself doing something different? Adults? What do you kind of see yourself? I've thought of it all. I really, really love writing young adult fantasy. Um, it allows me the freedom to play with all of my favorite romantic tropes, but in a world where I can bend the rules and change their situations and turn up the tension. Um, so I think it's most likely that I will stay in uh, young adult romantic fantasy for a while, if publishing lets me, of course, um, everything is always up in the air in publishing. I do not have another contract, so that will depend on the publishing gods and what they decree. Uh, so please pre-order this curse light. <laughs> Those sales help. Um, but yes, I have a couple other ideas on the back burner that I am trying to give myself the freedom to explore them and to write them with that freedom of knowing that no one is, you know, holding a clock over my head. Uh, but I'm excited about them. And if slash when publishing gives me the green light, I will scream about them all day, but I got to get them written first. Amazing. I, I love that though. There's, there's a really good optimism there that you're kind of yeah. like, I've just got some ideas and I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. I'm just Yeah. I think you have to, I, I miss the freedom of just writing and not having a strict deadline. So I'm going to give myself the freedom to try that for a little while, you know. Useful. Now look, you're obviously here to chat all about your novel evening. So I'm intrigued as to what you're going to bring. We've had a real mix lately. It's been interesting. So anything goes. First and foremost, you can have authors, characters. We can go anywhere. Basically, there's always loopholes. <laughs> yes. Well, so, I thought about that this morning. And I, I have some ideas of actual objects. Okay. I probably just forget everything important. But I do. I have some ideas. Okay. So we always kick things off with probably the most important part, which is the venue. Where are we going to go for your novel evening? Well, that one is easy. We are going to the Amalfi Coast of Italy. Uh, somewhere I've always wanted to go. So this works it's very nicely. Stunning. Oh, so I will say, been... and Sorrento, 
but I know that Sorrento is not technically on the Amalfi Coast. So if your Italian listeners do not come after me. I know that, but they have similar vibes and they're right next to each other. So, okay. And the best to say that. Did you get yes, to go and do beautiful. sort of research trips for the book? Was there opportunity? So I had been years earlier um, and it was always just, you know, my happy place in my mind. But then, you know, I had young children and there's not a whole lot of international travel from the U.S. when you have small children because yep. it's quite far away. Um, and when I was at the point in the process of developing the world for this vicious grace, I also just happened to be on my annual vacation with my friend who lives in Rome, um, who comes to the U.S. to visit family. Every summer with her two daughters, I have two daughters, they run around the house, you know, shrieking at each other in Italian and English, and they don't always understand each other. It's pure chaos, but it's a very sort of immersive Italian week. Um, and I was at the point where I was developing the world and adding in all those sort of you know, flavors and experiences and yeah. having her there as someone who had been there a lot more recently was wonderful. And we just, you know, sat on the beach and watched the sunset and talked about all of our favorite things about the Amalfi Coast. And that really, I think, helped me have a, um, a more vivid experience of writing it than I would have if I had had to just refer back to my old memories. I have been back since, um, but yeah, there was a little time there where it was a little hard to travel. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when we're going, you know, for our location, are we outside? Are we eating in somewhere? What's, what's We're your... outside. We're finding little hole-in-the-wall restaurants where you don't even order. You just ask them what you should get and they will bring out the best stuff for you. Um, and then I'm going to add in a lot of tension and drama to this picturesque, relaxing setting with who I'm bringing. <laughs> oh, I'll just sit in the corner eating some <laughs> watching it all yes. unfold. That's what I'm here for. A bit of wine. Yes, quite a bit of wine. Yeah, a bit of limoncello, something like that. I'll just be in the yes. back. I've got this. Okay, this sounds beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've just lost my words from there because I was like, <laughs> it, like, I would really love to go right now. <laughs> as I look out my dark cold window yes oh so chilly so who is the first guest who's going to arrive at this little restaurant all right there's a theme here so I'm going to start with Dante I am bringing my own character Allowed. and we'll see why um this was my moment of inspiration this morning was how everyone always talks about how they think that their favorite male love interest in a fantasy romantic book is the best and could beat all the others. And so I would like to bring a bunch of them with me and just sort of let them do that it. <laughs> peacock male thing. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, I can throw a ax faster than you can. I can fight with swords faster and just let the girls sit back and just have their wine and watch the boys just, Let's just take them down to like the waterfront, down to the, the edge of the water. And exactly. The sand. Just have at it. Yeah, that sounds like with some nice food, some good dessert. Yeah. I would, I'm very much down for this form of entertainment. It's probably right? very, it's calling to something a bit primal in me. I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. fighting for sport. Let's. Yes. Be okay, so, what, firstly, what do you think Dante's odds are? What are his pros in this fight? They're very good, except for the fact that he actually doesn't get provoked into violence the way that a lot of characters do he is good at fighting but he usually only does it if there's an actual point to it like he's not he's not like you can call him names and he's just going to kind of look at you and be like why are you talking to me um so i think it kind of depends on what kind of i mean when it comes to actual you know like knife throwing and all that like he is like that's literally kind of his whole thing is that he is kind of born and created to be 
excellent at fighting skills. Like that is the history of his people. So he'd be pretty good at it. Um, especially I think if he could provoke some of those other boys into some hot headed anger moments. Maybe we could set some, maybe we'll have like a swimming challenge, some kind of beach. Yeah. We'll set different yeah. kind of tasks. I mean, we could go really hard and decide that like at the final challenge is like, you have to use your actual big boy words and tell the woman you love what you love about her. Cause then they would all fail. And that would be hilarious to me. <laughs> or at least Dante would fail. I will give him that. That one, he's absolutely going to fail because he does not like discussing emotions and he definitely would not do it in front of other people. So he'd be like, sorry, babe, I'm out. And he'd just peace out. And some of these other, some of these other romantic fantasy boys use the words. Okay. They use their words. Okay. Dante does not. I'm intrigued now. I want to see the competition. So who is coming up next? Uh, Zayden, what's his name? He's Zayden, right? From Fourth Wing. Oh, Riosen. Yes, 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 yes. I listened I to the audiobook a while ago. Yeah, he's he's a fave at the minute. I'll give him that. Yes. He's up there. There's something about him. Yes. Um, now, does he get to come with his dragon? Because that is a very no. big advantage. Yeah, fair. No <laughs> dragons allowed. You can bring the weapons that you wear on your body, but you can't bring magical creatures because that just seems to tip the scales in a way that isn't quite fair. See, he is a... And he's got magic. Mm -hmm. He's got this. Okay. But he's another he's one. He's got those shadows thing. Yeah. Yeah, he will fight. Yeah. And I can't give anything away from book two, but there's a little something extra yeah. to know about Zayden. How but is this, isn't there? There always is. His. But the thing is, he's another one. He doesn't really fight unless he's really pushed it. Mm-hmm. And he's a bit cocky. Quite. Which, you know, we, we love a cocky boy. But I also think that there's... I'll just say, if Dante was trying to provoke him... I think he could do a better job because Dante is just one who is not easily provoked. That's just kind of his just grumpy sitting in the back of the yeah, room. Yeah, so. you just have to say yeah. something about the love interest in those particular books and he'd fly off the handle, wouldn't he? He's a bit, yeah. he's a bit of that type, a bit hot-headed when it yeah. comes to certain certain ladies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, don't know physically, I mean, he's done the gauntlet. He's obviously quite a physical mm -hmm. guy. Do all right with some of the more physical challenges. I'd like to yeah. watch him swim. I I I would like to watch all of them swim. I think <laughs> that would be we should make them swim quite a bit. Lots of swimming. I agree. Yes. Lots of swim challenges. Okay, okay. Who's next? Uh so I don't know if there's a quote on how many, because I kind of came out at three, but the third one, and then you're you're gonna be caught off guard by this one, would be um Roman from Divine Rivals, because I feel like these are these are the boys of the season and we'd have to come up with very specific challenges that are difficult for each of them so that they each have at least one that they are just doomed at. Like we could have, you know, love letter writing and Roman's crushing it, right? And Dante again is like, I don't put my feelings into words. I'm just going to like, you know, put a handprint on the paper and send it off or whatever it is. But like really coming up with just the right challenges to make sure that each of them is absolutely miserable at some point. Can I throw a hat in the ring here? Can I yes, throw a because my ultimate book boyfriend is Cassian from Akita. Mm -hmm. There's something about, something about that. I mean, he's got wings. So yes. he can't Which not honestly seems like it could be unfortunate in a hand-to-hand -hand combat situation. Or maybe even swimming. I don't know how that fares with- That's true. That's true. Like, is he allowed to like extend to the wet. wings and then like <laughs> doggy pedal? Like, I, that doesn't seem fair, but wings it also could be pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, like you just kind of propel yourself forward, but you're like flying above the water. Well, that's it. Do we, you know, is that cheating? 
his body has I to get in we, the water. It has to. Yeah, I think we have to decide whether it's a no cheating competition or a use whatever means you have. Mm, these don't seem like boys who can go with a no cheating rule. Yeah, this is true. Although I don't know, Dante is a bit of a. I don't think he's a rule follower because he's not, but he has a very, I think, strong moral code that uh, he would probably struggle with the cheating. But if it's an all bets are off kind of competition, yes, he'll fight dirty, but you know. And that would probably be more fun to watch. Yeah. I feel like that would be a fun one to, to get into. I have so many friends who are so into like fancy romance and I bet they'd be screaming right now. I can think of so many names that would be thrown in here. I feel like yes. we used to get a bunch of all our girls together. I'd be like, everyone invite Amazing. one of their book boyfriends. Yes. And then come up. I think you have to submit your favorite book boyfriend, but also submit one challenge they'd be great at and one they'd be terrible at. Oh. Like push them. Well, it's going to have to be a snowball fight. I know we're, we can match with snow because Cassian loves a snowball fight. He's very good at uh-huh. it. And I there feel- could be a like stare at your lady and but like don't kiss her for as long as possible competition. Like they would all fail that eventually, and that would be delightful. Wouldn't that be great? This yeah. I you've you've won an awful evening. I've had that you're like <laughs> yes. I've had how many hundred episodes plus, and I'm like, well, this one's one. <laughs> and it's scarily when I did my own one for our hundredth episode, I thought I need to really highbrow. Mine was just basically it's just hot people in a castle, and I was like, this is like this is kind of hot people on an italian beach but also tormenting them because i believe in tormenting your characters as an author this is going to take a long time i think we're going to have to go from like the heat of the day where we have some food right into kind of the cool evening agreed yeah because all the watching ladies are going to get cold Mm. i need someone to warm them up exactly and look this is the question where i usually ask if there's anyone not invited this is a tricky one our cruel prince boy. He is not invited. I'm saying. Oh. It. I said it. Carden can't come. Oh. Ooh. Okay. I, I think he, I know he's not young, but he is young. I just, I don't know. I feel like he doesn't have you the You picture him as younger than maybe, because he's almost like a thousand years old. Yeah, but there's there's actual age and then there's maturity age. And at least in the first book, like he's not there yet. I do know what you mean. He's very bitchy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like an absolute cheer. Like he would, you know, the whole like the face and the water. I mean, he's just, he doesn't play nice. And I feel like these other boys would kill him. Like and legitimately. You know what? My, my saddest book, I loved Wrath. Mm-hmm. I loved Wrath in Kings of the Wicked. But I loved Wrath until he got nice. And then when he got nice, mm. towards the end, I was like, he got nice. And I was just the happy. dilemma. Yeah. Happy for Amelia. But for me, yeah. If the bad boys are bad, I want to keep them bad. And that, yeah. that's part of my, pro- even like Zayden, I'm like, you've got nice. I liked it when you were yeah. it's, it's. I will say that was a huge challenge in writing a sequel. Um, I do have the benefit of the fact that Dante has all the bad boy traits, but kind of part of the fun of him, in my opinion, is that he's trying so hard to like not seem like a good person, but he is from the start. Okay. So I don't think it feels inauthentic when he actually like does the right thing while being really mad about having to do the right thing. You're like, yeah, we knew you were going to do that. Um, but giving him more of a chance to show his soft underbelly without losing what it is that makes him him. Yeah, is, you is know, a when you've got a bad boy who's a straight up, you know, you got a prince of evil. Yeah. You know, I love uh, Jay Kristoff's Empire of the Vampire. Mm-hmm. And I know the main guy in that 
he's not a good boy. He's he's yeah. he's pretty awful. They all are. That's why I love him. <laughs> but if they've already got a glimmer of, you know, there's a good yeah. heart in there, I'm there for that. But if it's someone It's just yeah, it's that, making sure that you're staying true to the character that they are, that they can grow and develop, but that they're not going to become a different person. They're just finding their true self, I guess. I'm intrigued by this night that you've created and a Cardin, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but I understand where you're coming from. He's a bit snarky. He's a bit funny. Yeah. There's a big ego there. And I know these boys are fairly egotistical, but they, they've got a nice, humble side to them. Yeah. I do think the rest of them, like if, if suddenly a threat came from the outside, like I feel like the rest of them would be like at each other's backs. Like they do that man circle thing, you know, where they're all facing out, ready to fight. And I just feel like Cardin would be like, I'm not doing this. And they'd be like, dude, out. I just love That's the big theory. threat would come. The men yeah. would be in the side. We'd just be in the background eating some kind of dip. Yep, exactly. <laughs> not getting pasta, up, not offering to help. wine. Yeah. Like, you boys do that. You got You're this. You're doing great, sweetie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, take off your shirt while you doing it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like the gender reversal of like the last scene in Clueless when they're at the wedding and all the girls are like fighting over the bouquet and the boys are just like rooting and betting on the women like it's like that vibe but flipped and with more violence yeah, yeah. I feel like they don't want bloodstains and everything they're wearing I mean, we mm-hmm. consider it and just keep that clean off to the side yeah. or you know they might be fighting in the sea that would be a shame yeah there could be cliff climbing I mean there's just so many options so many possibilities so many choices and I, yes. I promise you i might dream of this tonight this <laughs> might be, i'm about to go to bed in roughly 15 minutes and this is gonna occupy my dream space if i ever write fanfic this is the fanfic i will write all these other authors are gonna be like excuse me I'm like what i'm just playing with our you know making our yes, kids on double is, date. if i don't get a credit in that i'll be yeah. devastated <laughs> look thank you uh, genuinely thank you so much <laughs> for joining me on this novel evening experience and I guarantee my, my friends pleasure. listen to this and be like why didn't you mention so and so why was it bias <laughs> remembering the ashes where did he go we're just creating the the starting point so that people can create their own in their head oh I'm gonna put this up people can come and put their suggestions in yes we... then they're gonna come after me because everyone's gonna be like he wouldn't do this and he wouldn't I'll be like, look I'm just I'm just bringing them into the arena we can all I'm, have our theories on what happened and yeah. I am biased towards my boy. I mean, I did, you know, he's fine. You created it. And again, Cassian has had my heart for many years now. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to back him. Yeah. And that's also why you have to have a lot of different competitions in different areas. It's not just who is the strongest. Like, we're going to have fighting. We're going to have climbing. We're going to have dealing with your emotions. We're going to like all that stuff. Because that brain way everyone's- thing. We'll celebrate yeah. the brain somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of thinking thing. Yeah. <laughs> We'll do something on those lines. And look, before I let you go, and uh, I go <laughs> and mentally paint this image in my head, <laughs> and text all my friends, like, who would you invite to a hot book man face-off? Yeah. I have to ask if you're reading anything at the moment. Um, I am. So I am currently reading a couple of arcs, but I am specifically finishing up The Dividing Sky by Jill 2 right now, which comes out in 2024. And it is a sci-fi romance, sort of a near future. I'll call it dystopian, even, I mean, it is dystopian, but in publishing, it gets weird and says like, we're not doing this category. It's like, but you still are. Um, But yeah, she very creatively uses some sci-fi plot devices 
in order to create very new and delightful ways of using some kind of traditional romance tropes. I'll just say that. So Ooh. it's a fun twist on it. I kept reading it going, oh, she just pulled off that trope, but not in a way I've never seen before. And it's a lot of fun. So I'm excited for people to read that in a few months. And you know, I'm, I'm a bit scared of sci-fi. I always think I'm not smart enough to delve into a sci-fi. I think near future dystopian is so much more accessible than people realize it. I mean, you know, if you think of the heyday of YA fiction, it was, you know, this Hunger Games and Divergent. And those are all technically sci-fi. People just don't think of it that way because it's not the super, it's not the outer space, you know, super technological. It's just a world that's kind of like our own, but has some things that we don't have. And in a lot of ways almost fantasy it's just whether you call it magic or whether you call it technology my brain just went to like wally that's probably the closest (laughs) like traditional sci-fi my brain can do but there's been so many incredible and i think there's a lot Mm -hmm. more female voices coming out in sci-fi as well with absolutely cool stuff and very and some of those books that we loved i mean books that blew up that everybody adored it's just people don't think of them as sci-fi but they are i mean that whole you know, there was, there were so many, there were the, um, uh, the choice. No, I'm getting it wrong. There was a bunch, there was a whole bunch of these books that were the sort of these like near future, like the uglies, like all of those that were just in this like slightly different world that really could have felt like fantasy or sci-fi, but they are technically sci-fi. So people liked all of those books. You know, I think we're bringing some back. Oh, I like this. And any idea what comes after this book? You you probably got tons of arcs and proofs you can send your way. I do. I have uh, To Gaze Upon Ruthless Gods, I believe, by Molly X. Chang, which also comes out next year. Most of my reading is books that aren't out yet. <laughs> um, I mean, because... that title alone, I'm like... Yes. Um, yeah. So I've started that and that is delightful. But yeah, it's, most of my reading life at this point is catching up on books that won't be out for another six months to a year. Um, so that they can, I can read them and hopefully blurb them. And I've been kind of terrible at keeping up with those. So I'm trying to catch up on a bunch. I mean, you can't see the unread books because they hide down from down yes. here. I get you. There's about 700 of them. I just pretend yeah. they're not there. <laughs> I try just not feel guilty when they stare at me. And I know. No, it's You know what? Think of it this way. Those authors are just thrilled that you bought it and that it gets to live in your house. And no one's going to question you on whether you read them or not. So that's fine. I just keep buying books. Too many books. I genuinely, yeah. and they are good insulation. We're in a cost of living crisis. This is true. This is true. You can make stuff out of them. I was planning on making a book tree, Christmas tree oh. later today. Yeah, I oh, got well, the I opportunity to buy. I will. Oh yes, if I do something like that, it's going on social media. But yeah, um, with the paperback of this vicious grace coming out the same day as the sequel comes out in hardcover. Um, they need to make space in the warehouse. So I was given the opportunity to buy a couple of extra boxes, you know, for the bargain basement price of this vicious grace, which means I have quite a lot of green hardcover books in my house. And I was like, clearly, I mean, what else am I going to do other than make a tree out of them? That's exactly what you're meant to do with green hardback yeah. books. I'm, mm-hmm. I want to see the fruits of your labor now. This is very important. You will. Trust me. <laughs> I will make it, it and it'll be turned into TikToks. And Instagram reels and Instagrams, because at this point I'm like, what do I make for social media content? So shout out to every social media creator who talks about the books that they love, because every time I can hit repost, you've just saved me an entire afternoon of making stuff. So yeah, every time bookstagrammers, when we make a TikTok or a reel, you're saving an author. You really, really are. If you want your favorite authors to write more books faster just keep doing that for us because I have wasted so many days trying to get like the perfect book picture. And then I'll go on Instagram and someone has already taken a much better picture of my book. And I'm like, well, 
there we go. Just repost that. And I, yes, I could have saved myself. My job here is done. (laughs) I'm eternally thankful for every single person who talks about my books, who makes videos or takes pictures or just tells their friends about it. It it means the absolute world to me. There you go. I think that's the perfect, perfect note to end on. Emily, thank you so, so much. This has been so much fun. I wish you all the best with this curse light. I, you don't need it. You. It's going to do amazingly. Thank and the you. paperback is out at the same time. So if anyone hasn't read This Vicious Grace, do yourself yes, a favor. Please do. Go and get both at the same time. Sit in, yeah. get warm. Get in both. Binge. If you buy them both for a holiday gift, uh, there's a form in my link tree on all my social media and I will send you book plates so that you can give them as a gift. You know, just, you don't know what to get for someone, just buy them a completed duology. Signed by the author. Ta-da. Perfect. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've been gifted a book that is either the second book or, or like the fifth book. Yeah. Get them both. Yeah. Both. Oh. Thank you so, so much again. This has Thank been you. an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.